Am I on? What's going on? <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Amen. They were like in the middle of last service, like, cut the mic off. That was bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man, it's an honor to be with you guys today. Journey Church, God is doing great things here today. Amen. God is doing great things. It's a privilege for me to connect with you. For those as well who, who are watching online, God is good. Every time I come to Journey Church, it's a blessing to us because we love Pastor Ken. Uh, we are dear friends with him and Carrie and their kids, and our kids um, have known each other all their lives, basically, right? And so Mia's with me right here. Uh, my wife and uh, another daughter, Elena, uh, left because we had a family emergency. You guys just keep our family in prayer, but Mia and Lily are with me. And as Ken said, I used to be a probation officer, and I used to really, uh, and I, I tell everybody, prepared me for the ministry, Hallelujah. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I used to dream, oh, one day there's going to be a young punk that's going to come to try to date my daughters, and I'm going to have their reports right in front of me. Holla. <laughs> Glory to Jesus. <laughs> but I, I am thankful to be here with you today. Every time I come to Journey Church, God's doing something new. I see the building that's taking place. You got a new youth pastor that's here, and, and it's exciting. I know Ken and I were talking about this. We've been praying about this. And so God is good, amen? Sometimes we're in the midst of a move of God, and we're just used to a lot of great things happening. But we ought to celebrate that God's doing great things here, amen? Anybody with me? So why don't you just take a moment to praise God. Would you clap your hands and lift up your voice right at your home, right where you're at? Just say, thank you, Jesus. We bless you, God. We recognize that you're doing something great here. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for all of the great things that you're doing at Journey Church. We pray, God, that you would continue to lead Journey in victory. We thank you, God. Father, even right now as we dive in your word, we pray that you would give us a heart that would receive all that you have for us today. We are ready. God, we need fight. We need your Holy Spirit. We need the power of your spirit to move through us, and we say yes. Would you say yes with me? Yes. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, uh, within this season, the Lord has put in my heart to prepare a series entitled Breaking Free, and I want to share with you one of the messages within that series that got impressed in my heart uh, that I was supposed to share with you. But basically, Breaking Free, the idea in a nutshell is that God wants us to be free from thoughts, ideas, or beliefs that keep us from following Him, from knowing Him, or from doing His work. God wants us to break free from the things that keep us from following him, from knowing him, or for doing his work. Maybe you grew up in an environment, right, where certain things were passed down to you or given to you that weren't biblical, and you realize that, and God said, I need you to put that aside. That doesn't line up to my will. Maybe, maybe there are things that happen to you in your life, experiences that have really affected at you in such a way that you hold on to false beliefs, and God is saying, I need you to get rid, rid of that thought. I need you to get rid of that idea. I need you to get rid of that belief. Those are strongholds, and all of us come to Jesus with strongholds. Can I get an amen? Some strongholds are more noticeable than others. Particularly, other people's strongholds seem to be very noticeable to me, but mine go undetected. Unbelievable. Can you believe that? Right? But we all come with strongholds. We all come with issues, and Jesus is there to bring us freedom from those issues. And one of those areas that I think we need freedom is that we need freedom so that we can understand who we are in Christ. 
The enemy wants us to believe something less than what God has for us about ourselves so that we don't operate in all that God has for us. Your identity in Christ matters. Who you are in Christ matters. The enemy would want us to not believe what the word of God has to say about us. The enemy would want us not to walk in the freedom that God has for us. The enemy wants to rob us of the confidence that comes from knowing that we are sons and daughters. 2020 was a difficult year, and it seems that, you know, uh, it's, some of that stuff is coming into 2021. I tell people it's like April 2020 started, and we're still in it. It's the longest April ever. What's going on? But you see all of the things that we were bombarded with, things that were so hard to process, COVID-19, the politic, the po political issues, the racial tension, the, the people misbehaving on social media. I don't know about here, but in Oregon, there were like a few people that were misbehaving on social media. News outlets that were controlling the narrative. And all of those things just continue to bombard us over and over and over again. And uh, if we're not careful, those things may kind of take the fight out of us. And we may find ourselves in a place where we say, well, what, what can we do? We just got to ride this out. You know, who are we to affect change in any of these things? But you matter. You are made in the image of God. And God has created you so that you can be a light in the midst of the crisis that we're facing right now. Do you believe that today? I believe that. But the world wants to beat us up with all these issues with a question, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? What do you think you're going to be able to do in this situation? Has anybody ever asked you that question? Who do you think you are in a demeaning way? Maybe you grew in an environment where that's the only way people talk. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're going to do with your life? Maybe you had high hopes of a career or accomplishing something, and there was always somebody there who was laughing, saying, you're so proud and arrogant. Who do you think you are? What makes you think you're going to do that? Maybe you got to a point where you said, that's it. I'm breaking off of this addiction. I'm no longer going to let this bottle kick me around. I'm no longer going to let the internet have control of my life. And as you started to fight, you know, somebody or the enemy himself started to say, oh, wait a minute, who do you think you are? What makes you think that you can have freedom in this area? Maybe you wake up in the morning and instead of hearing the scriptures that say that God's mercies are new for you every morning, instead the devil is right there saying, who do you think you are and what makes you think this day is going to be any different? You see, the enemy wants us to accept something different than who we are. But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was making you in your mother's womb, framing you, penciling you, drawing you. And at the bottom left, right-hand corner, he signed you, made in my image. You are beautifully made. You're a man and a woman of God. But God didn't just create you to show you off. He didn't just create you so you could be pretty and handsome because that's who you are. Can I get a witness? Can I get an amen? We can dance in the spirit right now. Some of y'all are excited. That's right. That's me, pastor. That's me. But he, he didn't just make you to frame you so that we can sit in church and look pretty. He made you with a purpose. You've been created by God. Uniquely made. 
for a purpose that he's prepared you. As he was smiling with joy, as he was drawing you into creation. And if you don't know him today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, whether you're listening online or you're here, today would be a great day to begin, to walk into your purpose, into the living hope, to the reality that you're made in his image and that you matter to him. But if you do know him, if you've come to the altar or you've come to the Lord and you said, Lord, I give you my life as, as Lord and Savior, I receive you, that doesn't mean that walking in our identity is easy. Can I get an amen? It's very difficult. Oftentimes we got to fight to put away the things that the world has pushed upon us. God says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That doesn't come overnight. That comes over a journey of turning our lives over to God, saying, God, I need to get rid of this so that I can walk in what you have for me. Transformation is difficult. God wants us to walk in our identity. And just because we said yes to Jesus doesn't mean that that comes natural to us. It takes work. It takes engaging. But if we don't engage... We're not going to walk in the victory that God intends for us. If we don't engage, we're going to be mediocre, lesser than Christians who are not walking in everything that God really intends for us. And I don't know about you, but I didn't get saved by God's power so that I can live in my strength. God didn't deliver you from the mess that you were in so that you can now try to figure out life by yourself. It's not the plan of God. God intends for you to live by his strength. And so I am not okay with us walking in something less than what God created us to be in his identity. So what I want to do is look at a portion of scripture that we're so familiar with. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. It tells us the story of David and his encounter with Goliath. We're familiar with that. Those verses go up to 50-something. But I just figured you don't want me to read all those verses. It's discernment from the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go ahead and start in, chat in verse 41. If you go with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 41, what I want us to do, as you read this portion of Scripture, because we're so familiar with it, is read it from the eyes of, okay, look at how David responded to all the, who do you think you are, that was pointed in his direction. And let's look at the Scripture and focus on what it tells us about our identity in Christ and what we need to know if we're going to walk in our identity in Christ. The Bible reads this way. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, this is Goliath, with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he, he disdained him. That was utter disgust, hatred, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Really good intentions. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." So David, uh, 
so when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I want you to just picture that. This, David wasn't just all talk. The, Goliath stood up and David ran toward him. And can you just imagine that? Can you imagine the, the, the Philistines and the Israelites just like, Oh, my goodness, what is going on? Some poor, some poor soldier's like, oh, poor David, lamb to the slaughter. There's no home for him. There's no hope for him. You can just imagine that. And David put his hand in his bag and took a stone, a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took the Philistine's sword and drew it out of the sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistine as far as Gath and the gates of Akron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Akron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. Interesting. This is very rated G. <laughs> I can see a Disney movie about this. <laughs> so he cuts off his head, takes his head, and goes to Jerusalem. This is interesting because Jerusalem doesn't belong to the Israelites yet. So he goes to Jerusalem, and then he goes back to the king. This is what verse 54 says. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. The Philistines were the constant enemy of the people of God. They constantly were in war with the Israelites. And they had come in and invaded one of the towns of Israel. And for 40 days, they nationally, they embarrassed the Israelite army. They challenged them with this champion named Goliath who stood super tall and he would speak to them and say, hey, uh, it's not like you guys are going to do anything about it. So what? We're in your town. What are you going to do about it? Why are you drawing up a line against us? He would say to them, bring out your best warrior. I will fight your best warrior and whoever wins uh, will be the victor over the other. If you defeat me, we will serve you. If I defeat you, then you guys will serve us. And as, they, as, they, as he was there with the Philistine armies in a town that belonged to Israel for that many days, taking advantage of that town, just humiliating them nationally, the Israelites just were afraid. They were captivated by fear, not knowing how to respond. Forty days of this embarrassment. Forty days. Imagine that. In the midst of that, we know that there's a story happening before this and in the midst of this with a man named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. And the prophet Samuel went to Jesse's house and said to Jesse, the Lord told me that one of your sons is to be the next king and I'm to anoint him. And so Jesse, with this understanding, began to present the son that he thought would be the king, beginning with the firstborn. Right? And he brought all these guys to, to Samuel, and Samuel said, no, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not none of the seven that you have brought to me. But there was one left, and he is David. But David wasn't even around because he was taking care of sheep. 
Some commentaries would say that when someone was a sheepkeeper or, or a shepherd, that that's all that they had in life. That was the only station that a shepherd would ever have in life, so they shouldn't assume to seek anything else. And so the idea is, you know, David is not even considered by Jesse because Jesse doesn't necessarily consider that this shepherd boy can rise to the station of king. He says to Samuel, well, you know, I do have another son, but he's like a shepherd, right? Like a kid. Did you, you sure you saw my firstborn correctly? Did you see those biceps? Right? But David was anointed as king. Sometime later, seen forgotten. Sometime later, Jesse says to David, I need you to take these sandwiches to your brothers. Not really sandwiches, but you know, food. And I want you to take this food also to their commander as the ration that, they, that is demanded of them. And bring back a token that lets me know that they're safe and that they're doing their job and so forth. And when David goes, he just happens to go at the time where Goliath is taunting the people of God. Say it with me, divine appointment, divine appointment. And as he's there, he realizes that this is going on, that this Goliath is insulting the people of God, that he's insulting God, and he's getting upset because he's seeing that the Israelites are doing nothing about this. He's like, hold up. I, this ain't happening. Is this really happening? And I want you to just think about a 15-year-old boy, about 15-year-old boy looking at this saying, uh-uh, no way. And then he begins to just look around to see why are... Why are we responding this way? And then all of a sudden he eavesdrops and he hears a conversation between two soldiers. Boy, he really is insulting us. <sighs> what are we going to do about it? I ain't going to do nothing. You're going to do something about it? I ain't going <laughs> to do something about that. But you know, the king said that whoever defeats him will be married to his daughter and they will be rich beyond belief. Yeah, he did say that one. I don't know. David is there and he hears that. He says, hold up. Run that by me again. What, what's going to happen to the man that defeats this Philistine? Repeat that to me again. And he begins to converse and inquire about the situation, so much so that it begins to get around to the soldiers that are around there. Finally, it gets to his brother Eliab, and Eliab is so frustrated with David. He says, what are you doing? What are you asking? Why aren't you with your sheep? In other words, that's your station. What makes you think that you can even have conversations with soldiers? It's almost like you can hear it. David, I'm so sick of you. Your stories about defeating a lion, your stories about defeating a Go to your sheep. Disgusting. Maybe he was jealous over the fact that he was chosen to be king. And he was letting out frustration. Who knows? But David says, man, what am I? I'm just having a conversation. And you would think at that moment that maybe David would just retreat and say, okay, I'm done. Obviously, my father didn't believe that I can be much, you know, he basically was like, he's just a shepherd boy. And my, my brother's here asking me, who do you think you are? That's two who do you think you are in my life. So maybe I should just quit because nobody thinks I can do anything with my life. Does he do that? No, he keeps asking questions. He keeps talking about it. And then it begins to change the atmosphere. Something comes in that they had lost. You know what came in? Hope. Hope. Right? And it was so loud and it was so captivating that somebody had to take the news to King Saul. Say, King, hey, um, you know, I just want to talk to you. I know that we're just waiting to strategize how we're going to defeat this enemy because I know we're not afraid, of course. We're just thinking about how we're going to deal with it. You know, there's this boy. <laughs> and he's talking about defeating Goliath. What? 
really? You think, why is that news that a 15-year-old boy is saying that he's going to defeat that giant? That's like 15-year-old boy talk, right? It was news because there was a culture of fear that had settled in the army of God to the point that they weren't even thinking about what would happen if they would win. They had given up victory. They had given up win. They couldn't envision a win. So when David came in and started to ask questions, hope began to rise. And that was different in that culture. Sometimes in some places, people give up on the culture of winning and they, they start maintaining. And, and it takes some Davids to come around and begin to stir up a conversation. What if? What if? So it gets to the king and the king says, go bring me the boy. David gets to the king. And as soon as he gets to the king, he's the first one who speaks. He says, king, I want nobody else to worry about this man. First thing David says, I got this. You don't have to worry. They don't have to worry. I got this. And Saul looks at him and says, you're, you're about a boy. And the early, earliest age that one can enter into the military was 20. So obviously he was so young that it was significant that he was not ready to enter into that stage of military life. And he said, you're about a boy. And here it is. The third, who do you think you are? The first one, Jesse doesn't even mention him. He's out with sheep. I mean, it's David. He's just a shepherd. He's nothing, right? He's just a shepherd. The second, his brother, who do you think you are? What makes you think that you can have this kind of conversation? And the third, King Saul. Listen, you're but a youth, and this thing, whatever it is, has been fighting since his youth. What can you do? Third, who do you think you are? At that point, did David start kicking rocks and says, boy, my father sure acted like I wasn't anything. And, and you know, my brother sure tells me all the time that I'm nothing. And Saul, he, he knows something about war, so maybe I need to accept the fact that I'm just, this is my station in life. People keep asking me, who do you think I am? Maybe I'm nothing. Maybe I need to accept that. Is that what David did? No, brother said, King, may I submit to you my resume? I just want to talk to you about my resume. Right? And you can, just, you can just imagine Saul like, right? Just dumbfounded. But notice the words of David. I love the way the ESV, the verbiage of the ESV. David says, when I used to be a shepherd. <laughs> when I used to be a shepherd, like he knew something was about to change so drastically that he was already talking about like it happened. That's what they call faith. When I used to be a shepherd, bro, what are you talking about? Your sheep are like with Joe. You... <laughs> but when I used to be a shepherd, there was a lion that came against me and I tore him apart. And there was a bear that came against me and I tore him apart. And the same way the Lord gave those things into my hands, God's going to give me that thing into my hand. And Saul's like, okay, I don't know if he's delusional or really courageous. And you can just, but you can just see it, and there's not much hope in Saul's voice. You can almost picture Saul saying, okay, son, go with God. Except, none of that. But you can just picture that, right? And as, and as he goes, he goes, okay, here, take my armor. Why don't you use my armor? Oh, boy, what an opportunity. Here you have his brother who's constantly attacking who he is. Now, who, who do you think you are? And his father, who didn't have much hopes, this would have been a great opportunity for David to grab their armor and go to his brother and say, what you got to say now? Bow down. 
There are all kinds of opportunity for Senator David so that he can go gloat towards those who demean him. He could have operated in bitterness and allowed that to manifest and go to those people who said those things to him and said, what do you have to say now? But he realized that if he did that, if he operated in that bitterness, if he went about just trying to operate in something that he had not tested, that he would have missed his assignment. He would have missed his assignment. And he says to the king, king, I haven't tested this armor. I, I can't operate in this. The Lord used this when I attacked that. The Lord used it when I defeated that. It's the same things that God used then that he'll use again. Then we have it again. We see that David goes and confronts this giant. Make a long story short, the giant is disgusted by the fact that this teen would meet him, and he starts to engage in psychological warfare. He says, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. And David says, you come against me with sword and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. You think you're going to feed my flesh to the birds? Listen, you're going you're gonna to be defeated, and all of the flesh of the Philistine will be food to the birds of the air. That's what's about to take place. And everybody here will know that there's a God in Israel. You can almost see the army of Israel here. And you can see David say, and everybody here will know that there's a God in Israel. And everybody over there too, you will know that there's a God in Israel. They go to war. The giant stands up. David runs to him, defeats him, cuts his head off. And then he takes his head over to Jerusalem. And again, this is interesting because that land didn't belong to the Israelites yet. It belonged to the Jebusites, which were really a constant issue to that property because it divided Israel. And David cuts off his head. It's as if he takes it and he goes to the land of the Jebusites and he says, you're on notice. You're next. It's almost as if he's saying, just like God defeated this giant, I'm going to defeat you. So get ready. Whoa. And then he goes to the king. Then he goes to Saul. And Saul doesn't have a, who do you think you are? Saul says, son, who are you? Who are you? Well, what does this portion of Scripture tell us about our identity in Christ? Number one, if we're going to walk in our identity in Christ, we need to know God is in control. He can be trusted even when we don't know or understand why we go through what we're going through. Amen. He can be trusted. There was David as a shepherd, maybe feeling neglected with no one to talk to but sheep, encountering massive problems by himself. But there, God was with him. He was not alone. God was shaping him. God was saying, I don't want David to be like the rest. God, a special purpose for him. I am shaping him to be like me. I am a shepherd. I am shaping him to be like me. I am a king. I am shaping him so that he can have the greatest victory ever. I am equipping him for this victory that he will have in his life. The wilderness at one point probably felt hopeless to David, but to God, it was the place of equipment, of equipping David. I don't know where you find yourself today, but I want you to know this. God knows you. God is shaping you. He is preparing you for victory, and your wilderness matters. Your wilderness matters. What God is doing in that wilderness is extremely valuable. I want you to know that in the Bible, the greatest encounters happen in the wilderness. 
the greatest revelations happen in the wilderness. So thank God, because if you're there and you feel alone and like God's not speaking, it's because he's busy shaping, he's busy loving you, he's busy transforming you, he's busy getting excited about your victory tomorrow. Anybody going to get excited about that today? He's shaping you, your wilderness matters. Those who walk in their identity trust God. Those who walk in their identity don't get arrested by the problem that is in front of them. Instead, they hold on to the promise. They seize the moment. David had a massive problem in front of him. The army of Israel had a massive problem. And they gave in to that giant to the point that they didn't see the opportunity that was presented to them. They forgot that it is God who fights for Israel. It's not in their strength. They forgot how God got them there in the first place. And so they were completely captivated by the problem. David then walks into that situation. He doesn't see a problem. He sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity, and he also begins to get angry because he realizes that there is, some, there is something wrong. I am not going to allow anybody to insult my God. Church, we need to get indignant. There comes a time when we see the problems that are happening in the world, when, when we read the news and we see some of the detestable things that are happening, that we get indignant. And that we begin to say, not on my watch. I'm not going to keep silent. I'm going to do something about it. There has to come a point where you see something and you begin to see that God has allowed you to see something or to be burdened by something so that you can pray and intercede and begin to pray for change to happen. And begin to say, God, if you can use anyone, you can use me, but I'm not okay with things being like they are. God is looking for a people who have an ounce of life in them that says, nah, not on my watch. I'm not okay. Listen. Sometimes it's time to get undignified, to, to get angry. Indignant is the word. Angry to the point of something that needs to happen. There comes a point where we need to allow the Lord to lead us in prayer and say, God, I'm not okay. Sometimes we think that anger is bad and we preach down anger. Oh, anger is so bad. No, how we deal with our anger is bad. But if you're alive and you're seeing, if you're alive, something's got to get you angry at some point. Something's got to get you sad at some point. Something's got to break your heart if you're alive. The Bible says the love of most will grow cold. Listen, I love my wife. Somebody try to step up to my wife, they're going to get some holy anger. Can I get an amen? <laughs> this voice is too <laughs> Who are you talking to? Right? There, there has to be something that rises a fight in you that says, not on my watch. This will not happen. David said, not on my watch. Because he knew who God was. He saw this as an opportunity and not a death sentence. Because he knew that he trusted in God. He didn't get discouraged by the constant, who do you think you are? Jesse, who do you think you are? His brother, who do you think you are? Saul, who do you think you are? He wasn't arrested. He believed God. Knowing your identity will keep you tuned in so that you would notice that there are divine opportunities presented to you, and that the enemy is going to try to keep you from those. Oh, you know, 
You see that kid being bullied? I want you to go over there. The Holy Spirit would say, I want you to stand up for him. Oh, well, if I stand up for him, then I'm going to be bullied. You see that person right there suffering? I want you to go over there and help them out. Well, if I do that, you know, it's, I'm going to miss out on this. I want you to go share. The, I want you to share my love. I want you to share my love with that person. Tell them that I love them, that I die for them. But God, if I do that, I may be insulted. And we see these giants, right, that keep us from walking in God's perfect will. But we're not seeing the divine opportunities that God is giving us. At the age of 16, I was totally lost. I want to speak to the high schoolers and the, and the middle schoolers. And there was a teenage girl who said, Jesus loves you, and he's got a plan for your life. That's all she said. I couldn't drink. I couldn't smoke. Couldn't do anything. It wrecked my four-day weekend at Cocoa Beach. I needed to give my life to Jesus. I showed up at a church, and they weren't even having an altar call because people were offended at each other. And at the end of the service, I was like, I just need to get saved. I raised my hand. I just need to get saved. It all started with one girl who wasn't intimidated, who simply said, Jesus loves you, and he's got a plan for your life. Messed up weed for the rest of my life. Hallelujah. Somebody has to start walking in faith. Those who walk in their identity don't get arrested by problems. They see the promise. They see the opportunity. They seize the moment. Those who walk in their identity stay in their lane. Those who walk in their identity stay in their lane. David could not wear Saul's armor. He didn't know how to use it. He hadn't tested it. He could have taken advantage of that opportunity, but he didn't. He stayed with what was tested. He stayed with what he knew. He stayed with what God had used in his life. May I say this to you? More than ever... In church ministry, what I find a lack of security in a lot of people in the capital C church, in the big church. There is so much information, so many books, so many ministers, so many prophecies, so many things out there. And we listen, we're listening to everything. We're listening to everything. Paying attention to everything on social media. Paying attention to every prophecy. Paying attention. And we're, we're so anxious because we don't know what to believe. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that one of the signs of the end times is that people will always be learning but never getting to the truth. And we often think that's about the world, but I think sometimes it's the church too. Just being tossed to and fro. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says that the purpose of the church is that you will be equipped and mature so that you will not be tossed to and fro. But what I saw all in 2020 is a whole lot of tossing. Pastor, such and such said this, but this prophet said this, and I'm reading this book that said this, and supposedly I'm a racist, and now I'm also this, and I'm this, and I don't know how to do it about this, and are you going to preach about this? It's <laughs> like, in the name of Jesus, calm down. Stay in your lane. Where has God called you to be? Where has God, has God planted you? Is that journey, church? Stay in your lane. Get rooted. Start serving. Start being a part of the body here. Listen to the word of God that God's depositing in your life through this pulpit. Begin to plug in with the people that God's put around you and begin to affect change there. And let all the crazy be crazy by themselves. Don't get involved in the cray-cray. You can be free from that in Jesus' name. Stay in your lane. What God's doing right here at this moment is very special and it's very unique. And he's planted you here for a reason. 
Oh, but you know, I just saw this minister, and it was an amazing word. He was preaching, and it was just powerful. I never heard anybody preach like that. He was playing the drums while he was preaching and the trumpet at the same time. Kenny, you think you can do? That's amazing. Stay in your lane. Well, pastor, such and such, Andy Stanley preaches good word. I think you should consider it. It's like, mm-hmm, praise the Lord. Thank you, sister. Stay in your lane. We are so bombarded with so much information that there's a level of anxiety that keeps us from walking in our identity in Christ. It's not God's intention for you. Man, it's not God's intention for you to have so much that you don't know what to do with it. That's what David would have found himself. I got more than I can do with. What is, what is God saying to you? Christian maturity is not about knowledge. It's about obedience. There's a lot of Christians who know a whole lot but obey very little. Christian, it's a, that's a whole nother message. <laughs> Those who walk in their identity stay in their lane. God is doing something unique, and you don't discard it or make less of it. Last thing, those who walk in their identity allow today's victory to point them towards tomorrow's victory. David defeated Goliath, took the head of that giant, and went to the land of the Jebusites. And put them on notice. To let them know the same way that God gave me victory over this giant, God's going to give me victory over that city. He was, the guy was still taking care of sheep, but he already knew that was going to be his city. I, mean, I think about it. He knew where he was going to be. He had vision. God intends to give you every victory that he has given you so that you can have vision for your next victory. God intends to give you, he, he gave you the victory he gave you yesterday so that that victory will lead you to greater victory and others to greater, greater victory. I was at Southeastern University on the preaching team, ministering on Sundays with a stronghold with pornography, praying and fasting and saying, God, when is this ever going to break free off of me? Pleading, God, do it. A preacher comes to the pulpit and begins to preach. A thousand students are there. And he says, there are some of you who are called to ministry, but you got this issue. It's going to plague you. It's going to destroy your life as this giant. But you need to take a step of faith and come up to the pulpit and deal with it right now. And there I was among a thousand students. And I said, boy, if I go up to that altar, it's over. Who people think I am, it's over. You know, my reputation is over. And the Holy Spirit began to say, yeah, it's true. But you'll also be free. What would that look like? And I was so broken, so tired of fasting and praying and no answer. So tired of being alone and not, not knowing what to do with this thing. I said, I'm done. Even if I never step behind a pulpit and preach again, I'm done. And I went up to that pulpit and I was alone. I was alone with another dude, a thousand students there. But I was so thankful. I was free. And I walked out of that chapel and I had an, a, another brother come up to me and said, Carlos, man, you're so courageous. To be honest with you, I should have been up there with you. And then in the cafeteria, bro, bro, I'm so glad that you were up there. If I can tell you, I should have been up there with you. And then somebody else, oh, man, I'm so glad that you were up there. I wish I would have been up there with you. Then I realized God didn't just give me victory for me. God gave me victory for them. 
Some of us need to put the devil on notice. There are things that God's done in your life and has given you victory, and they're not just for you. God has given you victory over addiction so that you can help others get free from addiction. God has given you victory in your marriage so that you can help others lead healthy marriages. God has given you victory over your finances so that you can help others walk free in their finances. God has given you victory so that you can continue to walk it and give it to others. It's time for the church to rise and walk from one victory to the next. The Word of God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. In other words, every victory he gives you is strategic to lead you to the next place. Strategic to lead you to the next place. I'm going to close with this. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. Just as two Thursdays ago, I heard on the news that there were 300 girls in Nigeria who were captured by terrorists. And that the military could do nothing about it. And they said, one of the parents said, we have nothing left but divine intervention. I hope that God would do something. And absolutely broke my heart. And I was so sick of it. I'm so sick of things like that on the news. Just begin to pray. I said, God, I'm tired of this. Came Sunday, last Sunday, I went to the church and said, we're going to stop service, right? We're going to pray into this right now. Come on, let's pray. We, we got we to gotta start praying like we're not okay with it. Like we're not going to have it anymore. Like on our watch, this kind of stuff will not happen. And so we begin to intercede and we begin to pray and the Spirit of God poured out. People begin to weep. People begin to pray. But I mean, people begin to pray as if it was their daughters that were held captive. And we just allowed that to happen, and intercession broke forth, and a prophetic anointing fell in that place, and we just begin to weep and weep and pray, God, we're not okay. Return every single girl back home. And then the Spirit, we felt the release, and we moved forward with service. Come Monday, my phone, people texting me, news from BBC. All of the 300 girls captured have been returned home every single one. Can we give praise to God? I know that's not just, I know that we weren't the only church that were praying, but that's a victory that God gave us to let us know that when we pray, when we get indignant, when we get fight in us to say, not on our watch, God does great things. So I'm calling you right now to be the mighty warriors that God called you to be and say, I'll be a David. I'll present myself available to seize the opportunities that you present me, Lord. If that's you today and you're saying, I'm not going to cower. I'm not going to let the enemy beat me up with who do you think you are. I'm going to say yes to the call of God in my life. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe it's time. It's time. It's time for you to stand for your freedom. It's time for you to stand for others' freedom. It's time for you to stand for your victory, for the victory of others. You say, I will not let this happen anymore on my watch. I'm going to engage. I make myself available. Would you raise your hand? You matter. Maybe you're here and you feel like you have no value or no worth right now. In the name of Jesus, I come against that. You belong to God. You're loved by God. Today is the day where you can respond. Maybe you're engaging online today. You can raise your hand as well and say, God, here I am. I make myself available. Come on. 
Let's pray. Father, we turn to you. Father, we turn to you. We make ourselves available to you. We make ourselves available to you. We will no longer believe the lie of the enemy. We give it up to you. We raise our hands and surrender the lie that says that we can do nothing. That says that we are not valuable. That says that we are insignificant. That says that our station in life forbids us from doing anything. In the name of Jesus, we come against those lies and we receive what you have for us. Now I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will begin to stir up intercession in your church. That your church will begin to grieve for the things that you grieve. That your church will begin to break for the things that break your heart. That your church will begin to fight for the things that you want to fight. That the mighty warrior in your church would rise, God, to do your work. We make ourselves available to you, oh God. We make ourselves available to you, oh God. Lord, right now we say yes. You're here today. And, he, and if that's you, here's what God's going to do. Here's what God is doing through Journey Church. Here's what I believe what God wants to do through your life. God's going to change that who do you think you are to a woe. Who are you? Who are you? In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you. I anoint you. Go in the power and in the might of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive everything his word says about you. Be free and lead others into their freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.